Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is Sunday, November 12th at 7.07 p.m. My name is Josh Mullinex. On today's pod, Arizona's win over Duke on Friday night. Some top 25 action in the women's game in Tennessee at Wisconsin on Friday evening. It's all right here, right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. Josh, before we get into Arizona Duke, we have to appreciate that Arizona and Duke was the only top 25 game between only game between two top 25 teams in the first seven days of the college basketball season. Granted, there were games like Kansas State and USC, Oregon and sorry, not Oregon, Baylor and Auburn. So there were some good ones, but shouts to Tommy Lloyd and John Shire for scheduling a game like this. Yeah, the, the women the women's side has the men's side beat right now in terms of mm-hmm. best matchup so far. But Tuesday is coming in the Champions Classic. So I just I don't understand. Like if I was a college football coach with aspirations of making it to the college football playoff, I would never do that. I would never schedule right. games like that because the way it's structured, you can have a perfect season except for game one when you're rusty and not go to the college football playoff as a result. Like that mm-hmm. can happen. And so I get it on that side of things. I like that we're, we're expanding so that we can maybe lean into that a little bit more, but I truly don't understand how like do it on a neutral site. Like, you know, Duke it stings maybe a little bit more because you lost at home, but if you play this game on a neutral site, nobody is going to think of you any less at the end of the season because you lost to Arizona by five. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, and the first thing coming out of this game for me is the thing that John Shire needs to figure out a way to address, which is that his team just got physically beat up. Yep, they did. And there was, I mean, now, Umar Balo, Matthias Krivas, very, very large human beings who are very good at what they do. This is not a small Arizona team, right? This is a big physical team inherently. But there were a couple times that, Filipowski just got bullied out of the way. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who is all in on this Duke team, I came away with this from this game with a very real question, not because they lost, but because there is something, if I'm, for example, Michigan State on Tuesday, that I am looking to exploit and a very clear weakness I see with this team that needs to get addressed. Well, and the tough thing was, you know, Filipowski is not really that type of big, anyways. Right. He's more of a finesse, you know, offensive big. Yeah, Ideally, he plays alongside someone like Umar Ballo at the four. And when when Duke tried to go really big and bring a guy like Ryan Young onto the floor, the Arizona defense just sat so far. Like there were times where the, you know, whoever was guarding Ryan Young was standing halfway between the free throw line and the basket. And any cutting, any movement from guys like Tyrese Proctor, Mark Mitchell, Jared McCain, any of that just stopped because you had five guys to guard four yep. and like three of them were in the lane. So 
it needs and, and there aren't many teams that will be able to exploit it the way that Arizona can specifically like if they have to run into them in the tournament again yeah. I think that'll be I think a lot of people would stop short of sending Duke to, to the title game if things are similar to the the way they are now because I think that's that's going to be an issue for Duke against front court loaded teams yeah this is a bad matchup that is one of the big stories coming out of this yeah Caleb Love back in Cameron Indoor Stadium. It was the most Caleb Love game of all time in a lot of different ways. <laughs> he took 10 shots and scored 11 points. He banged a three off the backboard with like 18 seconds on the shot clock. He had six turnovers. The buzzer but beater. He had the buzzer beater. So that was one. That was his only three of the game was a buzzer beat. Was a buzzer beater three at the, at the end of the first half. And... Uh, but I explained it to somebody that kind of felt like he was living rent free inside of everybody's head inside Duke's uh, in, in, on the Duke yep. team and the, and the Duke crazies, the Cameron crazies. Um, it was, I thought he was productive. I thought he was impactful. And at the end of the game, you looked and I was like, it's still, it's still Caleb love. Here's the thing though. It feels cause I'm right there with you. It feels so much different when he's not the person handling the ball. Because right. now he's a because now he's a shooting guard, right? Yeah. Your job and there's is no to go... and and there's no competition. Like there's no questioning it either. You know, right. like RJ Davis is kind of like you can you can have a conversation about who should have the ball in his hands in terms of playmaking. RJ Davis and Caleb Love, Kylan Boswell. Like there's no conversation. It's not yes. even like he's got a he's got a a leg to stand on, and I think that's important too. Yeah, that, that, right. That's the the part B to the Caleb Love side of this is I, I'm already without going too far in the other direction, much more convinced this can work because of the role he's playing and what he did in this game. Not mm -hmm. that he's great, but that you just don't care if Caleb Love is Caleb Love when he's playing the two. And my goodness, Colin Boswell. Yeah. Best guard on the floor, hands down. This is a guy that we talked about this in the preview. He just got buried on the depth chart last year through no fault of his own because that was a really talented team. Well, a lot of those guys are gone now. This mm -hmm. is, you know, he was spectacular. He's going to be a really good player. This is, I do think we've learned a lot from this game, which is not something I usually say this early in the season. Five assists to one turn. He just looked, he's only 18. He's another one of those oh, guys yeah. that reclassified. Yep. He just looks... He looks under control. He looks a lot of things that you don't usually see in an 18, in an 18 year old guard on the Duke side of things. Just a couple things here. I mean, Filipowski was really, really good. 25 and eight uh, on 10 of 20 shooting. I, they ended up shooting eight of 23 from the three point line, which is not horrible. It felt worse than that for a lot of this game for me. I'm just, and, and I'm curious what you have to think about this. I'm just not sure I'm scared of anybody who shoots the basketball for Duke. Like I'm, I'm not. That has to maybe, be Jer that has to be Jared McCain, right? And and if there is one, it's Jared McCain. And if he's not going to knock down threes, I mean, like Filipowski had a good three point shooting game in this in this one. Like he's not going to shoot three of five every game, but he's. I don't think that's. I don't think that's a an an incorrect representation of his three point shooting ability. But it's I, I just I'm not like Mark Mitchell, Tyrese Proctor, and Jared and um and Jared McCain went two for 
13 in this game from the three-point line. It was Jeremy Roach who was three of five, and I'm not sure that is indicative of how good of a three-point shooter Jeremy Roach is. So I'm curious how that develops as we go throughout the season. Yeah. Obviously, McKay needs time to get acclimated because that is supposed to, that's what he does. That's the role he's supposed to have on this team. If he doesn't end up filling that role, then you got some questions for sure. Last thing on Duke, five points from the bench. The bench took a total of four shots. You're probably going to lean a little bit more from that. You hope that the guy who steps into that is Sean Stewart and and maybe Caleb Foster. Of course, Ryan Young is just going to be on the floor some because he's big, and you know that will just he'll, he won't have games. He just couldn't be on the floor in this particular game. It didn't feel like so, but that's going to probably that's going to need some improvement as well. The other, yeah, the, the other two freshmen did not get a lot of opportunities and didn't exactly do an awful lot with the the chances that they did get. Although you saw you saw a couple good things here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not a panic button thing by yeah. any means. Just yeah. something. But that is a that is one of the better teams that Duke will play this year, and that's at least something you have in your back pocket about when Duke played a, a high level team early yeah. in the season. Mm-hmm. Completely dusting the eight-minute mark on this podcast, but that's okay. There's plenty to get to. Uh, Also on Friday night, Tennessee 80, Wisconsin 70, and Josh, I'll let you you take it from the top here, but I am uh, uh, quickly changing my tune on volunteers. Yeah, there are just a couple things to note here. Uh, Number one, Tennessee scored 80 points and shot 29% from three. Mm -hmm. That is scary. Number two, Dalton Connect was eight of fifteen from the floor for twenty-four points, mm-hmm. and he is offense in and of himself, which is yes. the thing that we said. Well, if Dalton Connect is that guy, then maybe this looks different. Well, newsflash: he is that guy. Yes. And then Jordan Gainey outscored Wisconsin's bench by himself with his ten points. Yeah. Uh, to me, the, the story here is exactly what you said. I need to see it against better opposition because Tennessee is going to play much better teams than Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But it's a very promising start to show that they can score and win games like this. And it is. we talk about this all the time. In order for me to be convinced that something different is going to happen, there needs to be something different to point to. I am very much open to the possibility that Dalton connect. Is that something different for this team? I need to see more before I jump to that conclusion, but this is everything you could possibly want. If you're a Tennessee fan, hoping this team makes a deep run in the tournament. Here's, here's why it's, here's why I'm, I'm ready to jump in on, on, on Dalton connect. First of all, his last name being connect. That's just an (laughs) awesome last name. And the spelling is like, it's a perfect last name spelling. Like it doesn't really make any sense, but I'm, I'm here for it. Um, here's, here's why I'm so in on, on that. I'm late in games. The five, nine guy being the guy who's in charge of all the creativity is not good. Right. Okay. When Zakaiziko gets the ball in his hands at the end of a broken possession with eight seconds, it's just going to be hard for him to get off a really clean look. Connect is six, six. He's not going to have a hard time getting a clean look off. And you saw in this game, a minute 50 left, Possession doesn't really go anywhere. They're up by seven. And he ends up with the ball with eight seconds left in the shot clock. Calls for a screen, you know, just just takes the screen and then makes a pull-up jumper from, you know, 12 feet or something. But he the the look is clean because he's 6'6". The same thing happens on the next possession. He misses it 
but it was still ultimately for a possession that wasn't great. It was still a good look, relatively speaking. And then he gets another, he goes past Tyler Wall with 30 second, 37 seconds left to go up eight when they were, when they were up six. It is, it's just like they needed somebody to be able to go to late in games. He's great in a lot of ways. And I absolutely think that Jordan Ganey is a very, very important part of this as well. I couldn't agree more there. But having a guy that you can go to that can create his own shot that's not 5-9 late in games is so, so important to me. Yeah, it it is fundamentally the thing that this team has been missing. And he is not just a great offensive player, but his skill set gives you exactly what you need that this team didn't have. So I, I want to see a little bit more before I go, absolutely, this is checking. I mean, because that's the one the one box that's missing. I'm not mm-hmm. willing to check it quite yet, but sure. absolutely this formula completely changes how I feel about Tennessee if this is who Tennessee is all season long. And, and it, it, the other thing for me is, like, he's not going to go 8 of 15 every game, but it doesn't really matter right. if he's been bad for 38 minutes. Yep. Like, he's going to be able to do that in the last two minutes and maybe and he'll miss some and and Tennessee will still have games where they don't look great offensively like it's going to happen but I think the floor is higher and if you're in a close one like 55 53 where neither team could score I think Tennessee's in a much better spot to win those type of games than they were last year yes absolutely last but not least there was plenty to talk about in the women's game you know why Josh because the the best women's teams in the country play each other and actually the game we're about to talk about specifically was actually not a top 25 matchup but number 2 Yukon here we are 7 days into the college basketball the women's college basketball season both number 1 and number 2 have lost this time it was Yukon in a 92-81 loss to Sanaya Rivers and the NC State Wolfpack yeah uh, first of all shout out Sanaya Rivers Mm-hmm. Uh, 33 10 5 3 and 3 on 11 of 19 shooting 10 of 14 from the free throw line casual is that is that any good jeez <laughs> I mean, my goodness that is part of this obviously the yukon is the story but got to give the wolf pack and chennai rivers their love as well, well sure just looking at the box score the 22 yukon fouls the 28 north carolina state free throws the fact that North Carolina North Carolina State dominated the boards, all of those little things that can allow you to compensate for a lack of talent, or mm-hmm. I should say a talent discrepancy. Not that North Carolina State's not a talented team, but they don't have right. There's a reason the two is next to UConn's name. All of that stuff just completely fell the way of of NC State in this game. That's the thing that stood out to me. Yes, of course, you would have liked to see some better performances specifically from UConn starters outside of Paige Beckers. That's a really good sign that she looks like she's back mm-hmm. to what she has been and what in the player we know her to be. But got to stop following people, take care of the basketball, rebound. All of those things really kind of balanced the game out and allowed it to be won by a phenomenal performance by Rivers. I think the thing that maybe should be the – takeaway maybe over everything is you know if pay if like becker's was not and it's not not to any of her wrongdoing 27 on 11 of 18 is phenomenal she wasn't the best player on the floor in this game Mm -hmm. and that's and and if you're just not getting a ton 
from everyone else. Like you said, Edwards was really good in this game too. She had 21, 21, six and three, but you put NC state, you put UConn in a tough spot. If, and there aren't going to be very many performances like the one rivers put on in this particular game, but UConn is going to be, is going to be challenged when they go up against individual performances like that. And it's not, and the worry is that it's not supposed to, this team is not built for Paige Peckers to have to be the best player on the floor every single game. Sure. Where this, even if they had won this game, where this gets interesting is when you start talking about final fours, playing Caitlin Clark, playing Angel Reese, you can go down the list of those other players that you know are just as good as Paige Beckers, yeah. right? They're, they're all in kind of that same, now maybe Caitlin Clark's in the stratosphere of her own at this point. But where you, yeah, you know that there's that one player out there that you need to at least slow down a little bit. And that they that they have the firepower next to them where UConn doesn't have a huge edge in terms of depth and the rest of the players. The fact that this is happening against not a team we're expecting to be Final Four caliber is concerning to me mm-hmm. because it shouldn't take Paige Becker scoring 37 points for them to win this game. Agreed. But it's great. It's, we talked about it last year. The fact that we had not number one seeds playing for national championship, number one, number two have already gone down. This is, this is what it's all about. This is absolutely fantastic. Makes me even more excited to pay attention this season. 100%. 100%. Shouts to women's college basketball programs for being willing to go play the best teams in the country early on for no other reason other than just to do it because it's good for their teams and, and for the sport. Josh, anything else we need to get to women's hoops, men's hoops, champions classic coming up early this week. And, uh, anything else we need to get to? I do believe we've gone long enough. I think we've gone long enough. Yeah. Well, under, under eight, under 18. Yeah. It's, it's the spirit. It's, it's, it's the spirit of the thing. It's the spirit of the thing. 18 minutes to get you everything that was, uh, at the, of the utmost importance over the last two and a half, three days. I think, I think we'll, I think we'll take it, but that is it for the under eight podcast for Sunday, November 12th. It is seven 25 PM. We will be back Monday to Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, daily college hoops podcast, three biggest stories, uh, from men's and women's hoops every single weekday. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to your shows, and follow the under eight pod on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you tomorrow.